Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. preacher known for his lengthy sermons noticed a man get up and leave during the middle of his message, but the man returned just before the conclusion of the service. Afterwards, the preacher asked the man where he had gone. He said, I went to get a haircut. The preacher replied, but why didn't you do that before the service? The gentleman said, because I didn't need one then. Stephen gives a lengthy message in Acts 7. And we'll continue our walk through it in this episode. It's clear from this account how truth, and in particular the truth of God's Word, cuts to the heart and can infuriate those who resist it. Verse 54 says in this chapter, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Instead of responding in faith, the Jewish religious leaders reacted with rage to the point that they take Stephen out at the conclusion of this message and kill him. The men who did this were religious people. From all outward appearances, they were seemingly good, moral, upstanding citizens. 2 Timothy 3.8, Paul wrote, Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. We have unrealistic expectations if we think that others will rejoice that we are living for the Lord or that they will ever applaud our counter-cultural biblical convictions. Instead, as believers, we should expect to be withstood, resisted, and hated. The Lord said in John 15, If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because ye are not of the world, therefore the world hateth you. We are in a spiritual battle, and the truth of Christ and the truth of God's word convicts and cuts at the heart because it deals with spiritual issues concerning sin, pride, self-righteousness, hardness, and blindness to spiritual need. We are called to speak the truth in love. But we know it will be met with opposition. But like Stephen, we do it because people need the Lord. Acts 7, 17-34 read, But when the time of the promise drew nigh, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. The same dealt subtly with our kindred, and evil entreated our fathers, so that they cast out their young children to the end that he they might not live, in which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months. And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up, and nourished him for her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. 
for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And the next day he showed himself unto them as they strove, and would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to another? He that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Then fled Moses at this saying, and was a stranger in the land of Madian, where he begat two sons. And when forty years were expired, there appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire and a bush. When Moses saw it, he wondered at the sight, and as he drew near to behold it, the voice of the Lord came unto him, saying, I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt, and I have heard their groaning, and am come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send thee into Egypt. Stephen is standing before the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of religious leaders in Israel. By his message, he is attempting to demonstrate from Israel's history how they needed to learn from history and accept Jesus of Nazareth as their Messiah. He has given the examples of Abraham and Joseph, and now he moves on to speak of Moses. Now to the Sanhedrin, Moses was their idol. They boasted in him continually. And ironically, they constantly disobeyed the law that had been given to Moses, and they do so notably in this account. Stephen boldly showed these men how the Jewish people, on two previous occasions in their history, were, were, were guilty of rejecting saviors whom God raised up to deliver them. The first one was Joseph. The second was Moses. What was Moses' experience, Stephen is pointing out here? Was he received by our fathers right away, he's asking them? What was his experience? How was he treated? So Stephen rehearses the record to jog their memories in case they forgot. God remembered his word, Stephen says. The time of the promise drew nigh, verse 17 says. The time of the promise drew nigh which God had sworn to Abraham, and that promise is what he had said earlier in the message in verses 6 to 7, that his seed should sojourn in a strange land, and that they should bring them into bondage and entreat them evil 400 years, and the nation to whom they shall be in bondage will I judge, said God, and after that shall they come forth and serve me in this place. The time of that promise drew near to bring Abraham's seed forth from the land they were in bondage and to bring them to the land promised to Abraham. God provided a deliverer for his people through whom the promise would be fulfilled and God's word was fulfilled just as he said. And likewise, the time of the promised kingdom in the Messiah had drawn near. The one whom God had sent to deliver his people had appeared. 
but they had rejected him. So Stephen goes into a description of Moses' rejection that he experienced at first as well. After the family of Jacob moved to Egypt to be near Joseph and have him care for them, them, they grew, they multiplied, they prospered, and they became content there. Many years later, however, a pharaoh came to power who did not know Joseph, and he treated this foreign people in his nation wickedly. Fearing their growing number and that they could possibly unite with one of Egypt's enemies to fight against them, the pharaoh began to oppress the children of Israel, and Israel's hosts then became their captors as Egypt forced them into slavery and hard labor. Stephen next points out how Egypt at that time further treated the children of Israel wickedly by killing their male babies that were born. The pharaoh first asked the Hebrew midwives to do it, but when they disobeyed, he commanded his own people to enforce the decree. Moses' parents defied Pharaoh's decree, hid Moses for three months after he was born. Moses was then put in an ark of bulrushes, or a small basket of papyrus reeds, and he was strategically placed by his mother along the bank of the Nile and the reeds, making it appear that he had drifted down the river by the current. By God's providence, Pharaoh's daughter found him and took him into her home. He was raised as the adopted grandson of Pharaoh and was educated in all the learning and wisdom of the Egyptians. And God used the Egyptians to clothe, feed, educate, and prepare the man for leadership who would liberate the children of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. Moses never forgot where he came from. Never forgot his people. When he was 40 years old, he visited his brethren, the children of Israel, because he believed himself to be Israel's deliverer. He wanted to set them free from their hard bondage. And humbly coming from his palace, he visited his people, and he saw one of them being harmed and mistreated by an Egyptian. He rose up in defense of him to avenge his mistreatment, and he killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. He did so supposing his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not, verse 25 says. And Moses was rejected by those he had come to deliver. The next day he saw two Hebrew men fighting and quarreling, and he tries to make peace between them. But verse 27 says that the one who did wrong to his neighbor pushed Moses away. And he told them, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? This was the chosen people's attitude toward their deliverer Moses in their rejection of him. And Stephen points this out to show how this was Israel's attitude toward their deliverer the Lord Jesus Christ as well. They pushed him away. Just like Moses, a humble deliverer came from a throne and visited God's people. A man who was mighty in words and deeds like Moses. And he made himself known to them. And he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. 
Instead, Israel sneered at Christ in the same way as they sneered at Moses. Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? And they denied and rejected him. The book of Exodus teaches that when Moses knew that his killing of the Egyptian was known, he panicked. And when Pharaoh heard about it, he sought to kill Moses. So Moses fled as an exile to the land of Midian. After 40 years, the angel of the Lord, or literally the God of glory, the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ, appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in a bush. Moses came near the burning bush. The voice of the Lord told Moses that he is the covenant-keeping God. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is faithful to the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord told him to take off his shoes because this was holy ground where Moses was standing. And at the burning bush, the Lord commissioned Moses to liberate his people from Egypt and to lead them to the land that he had promised to Abraham. But don't let verse 34 miss your notice when God says, I have seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their groaning. God is always aware of everything that we are going through. He knows about and He sees and He hears the hardship and suffering in our lives. And He is always there for us. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. For we must all appear is an 18-page booklet taken from episode 55 of our program, Transformed by Grace, written and taught by Pastor Kevin Sadler, president of the Berean Bible Society. In this booklet, we are looking at the judgment seat of Christ through the eye of faith. God rewards faithfulness. He is pleased by it, and He will recognize and reward these types of things in our lives. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. This message is also available on DVD. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out, after that he had showed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness forty years. This is that Moses, which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear. This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us, to whom our fathers would not obey, but thrust him from them, and in their hearts turned back again into Egypt. Stephen shows how Moses, 
whom Israel had refused, God sent back. Moses returned in power, and the once rejected deliverer who they did not know the first time, who they said, who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? And the same one God sent back to be a ruler and a deliverer. So he was the one after all, the one who God had sent to deliver them and to set them free out of Egypt. And Israel accepted Moses the second time. There's an obvious correlation here to Jesus Christ. At the second coming of Christ, the once rejected deliverer, who they did not know, will come back and accept him. And he is the one who will be their ruler and deliverer. And he will bring them out of their bondage and into the promised land one day. Moses' life and history foreshadows the life of Christ in so many respects. These men in front of Stephen boasted in Moses. And Stephen points out that Moses' life and words point toward the very one, the very deliverer that they had rejected. Stephen says, This Moses, the same did God send to be a deliverer. Likewise, God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to be a deliverer. And Peter on the day of Pentecost said, This Jesus, just like he says, This Moses here in Acts 7 with Stephen, Peter on the day of Pentecost said, This Jesus hath God raised up, showing He is the only Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Deliverer. Stephen next points out that Moses the Deliverer brought them out after that he had showed wonders and signs by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. And Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 said, Jesus of Nazareth. A man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves also know. So there's the correlation of the deliverer Moses with wonders and signs and Christ with the wonders and signs he did as Israel's deliverer. The message gets more and more pointed And Stephen quotes from Deuteronomy 18.15 in verse 37, This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren, like unto me, him shall ye hear. After feeding the 5,000, John 6.14 says, Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. That prophet that Moses prophesied about was to supersede Moses. And that prophet is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3.3 says of Christ, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. The prophet that Moses prophesied of, he says, would be of your brethren or of the children of Israel. Like unto me, Moses said, or a deliverer. Then Moses added, Him shall ye hear. Peter in his address in Acts 3 quotes this passage from Deuteronomy as well, but adds that every soul which will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. 
And that is what these Jewish leaders in front of Stephen were doing. Him shall ye hear, Moses said. They were not hearing that prophet. These Jewish leaders were guilty of doing again what their fathers had done in the past, rejecting and not hearing the God-sent deliverer, and they were doing so to their own destruction. They were committing the same kinds of sins as their fathers did in the past, but to an infinitely greater degree because they were rejecting the very Son of God. They were in danger of being given up to even greater judgment than their ancestors had suffered. But the lesson does not end here. In verse 38, well, Stephen speaks of Moses' authority and leadership to the church in the wilderness. Israel was a, a called out assembly of people called out from Egypt, called out to God. They were a called out assembly of the people of God. They received divine authoritative revelation, the living oracles of the law at Mount Sinai from God. Yet in verse 39, Stephen reminds these religious rulers that the fathers rebelled against Moses' authority and after Israel's deliverance under Moses, it says our fathers would not obey. And just like this, the man that thrust Moses aside from them in the past, Stephen points out how their fathers thrust Moses from them, and in their hearts they turned back again into Egypt. Even after their glorious departure from Egypt, after seeing those incredible signs and wonders in Egypt, seeing the Red Sea part before them, crossing on dry ground, even after all of these things, they thrust Moses from them and they did not obey him. They thrust Moses from them and amazingly their hearts turned back to Egypt. Though they had been cruelly oppressed there, they didn't physically go back to Egypt, but their hearts did. And by going back in their hearts to Egypt, they were rejecting and rebelling against the one who brought them out, their deliverer, Moses. And in the same way as their fathers, these leaders were rebelling against the deliverer's authority and not obeying Jesus Christ, their deliverer. And they thrust him from them. And in their hearts, they were far, far from him. And they had rejected him. Stephen was putting in the minds of these Jewish leaders the question, were they doing the same thing as their fathers by rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ? Stephen points out here how at a certain point in their unbelief, God turned and gave Israel up. And that was the other question he was placing in their mind. Were they too in danger of being given up by God? Acts 7, to 50 read, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus or Joshua, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out before the face of our fathers under the days of David, 
who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him an house. Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. What house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Finally, Stephen brings up the tabernacle of witness that they had in the wilderness, and which their fathers brought into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. Stephen answers the accusation that he had spoken against this holy place, or the temple, in Jerusalem. He traces its history to show his respect for it first. The God of glory's presence was with Israel in the tabernacle in the wilderness. The God of glory's presence was with Israel in the promised land. Then from the time of the conquest under Joshua until the time of David, Israel had the tabernacle, a constant symbol, a constant dwelling place for God's presence among them. David desired to build a temple for the Lord instead of his presence dwelling in a tent. And you see verse 47 that Solomon, his son, built that temple and God's glory filled that temple. But over the years, the worship at the temple degenerated. And eventually there were idols placed in the temple and God's glory left it. And the Babylonians destroyed it. And the worship in the rebuilt temple in Stephen's day had degenerated into mere religious formality, not of the heart. They just worshiped the place. Stephen attempts to make them think bigger. Get their eyes on the true and the living God. The Most High does not only dwell in temples made with hands, he says. How can the Creator of the universe be contained in a man-made building? He is everywhere. Stephen was not guilty of speaking against the holy place. These leaders were speaking against the holy place by confining God to it. Instead, with Solomon and Isaiah, Stephen argued that God is greater than any temple. Listen to the full quote by Isaiah that Stephen is referring to here. Thus saith the Lord, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. A poor and contrite spirit, one that trembleth at God's word, is what God was looking for out of these proud religious leaders that Stephen was talking to, but it never happened. A broken and contrite heart, one who trembles at God's word, is what, is, what God's looking for in you, and in me. Because when we come to God in faith and humility, God can teach us, and God can mold us, and God can transform our lives by His grace. Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. 
For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.